What if everything came with a free Star Wars audiobook from Audible? Like at the cantina. I'll take a half-calf spotchka. Lightweight. Here's your free audiobook download for Master and Apprentice from Audible. Or getting your pod racer serviced. My pod racer needs upgrades to the coupling and stabilizer. And here's your free audiobook download for Resistance Reborn from Audible. Life in the galaxy doesn't work that way, but there is one place you can go where you can get a free Star Wars audiobook from Audible. And that's utini.com slash audible. Click the Audible logo and start your 30-day free trial, which includes a free audiobook download. So visit utini.com slash audible and get your free Star Wars audiobook download today. This is Alexander Freed, author of the Alphabet Squadron novels, and you are listening to the Living Force Podcast. Welcome to the Living Force Podcast. There's a lot you don't know about my ship. A Utini production. What a piece of junk. Episode 68, Shadowfall Roundtable, Part 2. To make point five past light speed. On this episode, casting an Alphabet Squadron movie. She may not look like much, but she's got it where it counts, kid. New items on Utini.com. We're a little rushed, so if you'll just get on board, we'll get out of here. And the Utini crew talks about the new Star Wars novel, Alphabet Squadron Shadowfall by Alexander Freed. I'm going to be a pilot. Best in the galaxy. And now, here are your hosts. Dr. Corey Helton, Eric Eilerson, Dr. Charles Hankel, and Wes Jenkins. Welcome to the Living Force, everyone. I'm your host, Eric Eilerson, and joining me tonight are the doctors themselves. We have Dr. Corey Helton. Hey, buddy. What is crack-a-lackin', my friends? Oh, it's a Monday night, the best night of the week, because we also have Dr. Charles Hankel. Hey, dude. Hello there, guys. What's going on? Oh, just, just living the dream because you're here, my friend. And, of course, rounding out our, our, our bunch is the man wearing a shirt with his own face on it, Wes <laughs> Jenkins. Check out my own swag. <laughs> oh, it's so cool. <laughs> I love That's it. I am, I'm, I'm rocking my Morden shirts tonight. Yes. Uh, we'll get the first plug out of the way real quick. We got these at utini.com slash merch. Go check those out. But other than that, if this is your first time joining us, welcome, everyone. You have just found one of the most inclusive and positive fan communities in the history of the galaxy. If you're new to reading Star Wars, you got to check out utini.com for reviews, reading guides, and everything you need to dive into and explore the Star Wars expanded universe. We got a vibrant online community, which you can join by heading over to utini.com slash discord and a Patreon jam packed with hours of extra content at patreon.com slash utini. We host this live show on Twitch every Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. The audio podcast is released on Thursdays for patrons and Fridays on iTunes. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Let's dive in. Hi, guys. Happy Monday. How's it going? What's up? I love, I love, I love doing this. We were just, we were kind of hanging out before the show started. We're like, man, we've come a long ways, and this is a lot more fun than it used to be. We were just kind of reflecting on that a little bit because, like, we used to just get together and talk about Star Wars, and yeah, that's fun. But like, I don't know, getting together and hanging out with a bunch of people live is just fantastic. It's a good. Trevor time, just said man. in the chat, the gang's all here. Yes, that's right. Exactly. Not to mention that it is on Mondays. I mean, Mondays, historically oh. speaking, guys, the worst day, the worst mm-hmm. day. And a lot of times we struggle to get through it, but we always have this to look forward to. Absolutely. And we are so, so happy to be with you guys. Now, I have, I have actually seen Corey and Charles. I've seen you guys already this past week because we conducted two author interviews. 
uh, which we're going to talk about a little later in the show, one of which our patrons already have access to. Um, yeah. But that's – I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself, guys. I'm, I'm just too excited. We'll start off with some news, shall we? Uh, this is part two of our Shadowfall roundtable, so that's going to be the bulk of this show, but we're going to start out talking about the last week in Star Wars publishing. We had Star Wars Comic-Con at home this week, which was fine. It was fine. Um, there was a fun. <laughs> <laughs> there was a panel. Yeah, <laughs> there was a panel. Uh, Just by picturing picturing the, the the dog meme with the ribs on fire. Oh yeah, <laughs> everything is fine. Yeah, uh, there were some Star Wars panels. We have a we had a really <laughs> awesome um, wrap up video that Jake and Jose put together over on the YouTube channel. If you want to go check that out, that tells you everything you you may have missed. But we didn't have a ton of news coming out. A couple things that were announced. We have the Shadow of Vader's Castle one-shot comic coming, guys. This is the sequel to the last two Vader's Castle series. So rather than doing another six-issue arc, Kevin Scott's just doing one big issue. It's like eight bucks, so it's going to be pretty huge. So very stoked about that returning. And we got a new art of book, y'all. The Art of Galaxy's Edge. What do we feel about that? We excited? I'm fine with it. I, I, I don't know. I, I You'll allow it. Excited. I I really love the art books for the films. I haven't been to Galaxy's Edge, so I mean, I feel like there's an appeal there. I was supposed to go during all this COVID nonsense, mm-hmm. um, but I still hope to go one day. Maybe I can experience it through this book instead. <laughs> yeah, you know, books are a gateway, Charles. Uh, if your imagination's big enough, you can go anywhere. Into a larger world. Exactly, what you know. Saying? You get it. Corey, are you as uh, cynical as Charles is about this art of book? Yeah, I mean, the art, I'm, not a, I'm not a reference book collector. Like, I, I buy the novels. I, I'm not, honestly, much of a collector, period. Like, I, I'm in this for the content. You don't stories, like Star Wars, things. actually, I think. It's, it's <laughs> the truth. Please, that's, please that's what I said. Dis- disregard the bookcase behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I have the books and, and some Legos and stuff that are from my, my childhood and stuff. But I'm just, I'm just really not much of a, a collector. I don't know, man. It's, it's kind of weird. But uh, I do enjoy flipping through those, like... When I go to like bookstores and stuff, those are the things that I pick up and look at when I'm going yeah. around. Like is the is like the and I'm always like, man, I want to buy all these, but then I don't. So, you know. <laughs> well, we're gonna maybe get it review it for you when it comes out. Um, I I'm excited actually about this because I I want to know like the behind the scenes of how the world got created because I feel like with a lot of the films we get the behind the scenes docs and articles and we got a little bit of that with Galaxy's Edge but it was more about like the merchandise and stuff I hope this goes into like traditional lore and character design and like all that kind of stuff so uh, we'll keep you posted on that another new release tomorrow if you're watching us live so this will be Tuesday July 28th nailed it. Star Wars Dark Legends is coming out, everybody. A new George Mann book. We freaking love George Mann, the man himself yes. on this show, uh, author of Myths and Fables from last year. And tomorrow, we are going to have our written review uh, being released, written by me. This week, we're going to have a video review coming from Emma. And I can announce it now because our patrons already have it. On release day, you're going to hear me and Charles interview George Mann himself all about the book. Charles, how great was that interview this weekend? Man, dude, I mean it. He's one of the most likable people that we've ever interviewed on this show. I mean, I, I know we can't have favorites. That would be unprofessional, but he's up there. I'll just say that. He's, <laughs> he's so nice. He's so nice, so laid back. Like, he felt genuinely excited to talk to us. I mean, he, I mean, I, I felt like it was genuine. Um, just a nice guy. I would love to have a 
I don't know, just to drink a cup of tea with this guy. Like, I, I can't wait to meet him in person sometime. Yeah, very excited to meet George, at, hopefully at future celebration. But that interview is up. Uh, by the time you're listening to this on audio, it's in the feed one before this. So listen to George's descriptions of how he wrote the stories, how he brought his son into the mix, how the, the creation of this particular book differed from myths and fables. You're, you're absolutely going to love it. Um, podcast updates, everyone. About this live show. Corey, can we tease some of the things we're going to be maybe, I don't know, debuting next week, week after? Yeah, something like that. So <clears throat> we we have a tendency to sort of uh, like – Jump the gun a little bit with release dates, just because we're so excited, to, <laughs> so excited to to let stuff out yeah. of the bag. Over right? promise, but under deliver. That's the I like way. prefacing this announcement with that. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, I'm not sure if it's all going to be ready next week, but I, my plan is it for you to be ready next week, and we're going to start advertising as if it's going to be ready next week, and then we're just gonna we're gonna wing it. All right, it's going to be fantastic. Love it. Um, but we are completely overhauling the branding and experience that is this live show starting next week. So um, you guys that are regular live stream viewers, you guys are really in for a treat. Um, it's going to feel like a like a new show. And uh, we've been working super hard. I mean, I pitched all this stuff to you guys like, what, four months ago? Something like, like that, yeah. Yeah, like, uh, and this stuff has been in the works for a long time. We have a really sweet intro. There's going to be new graphics. It looks super professional. Yeah. Um, we're going to try we, to utilize a lot of the stuff that's in Twitch. Yeah, and we've been doing it in stages, right? Like, this is obviously a huge improvement on where we were a couple months ago, but this is a, another jump beyond that. Yeah, even a bigger jump beyond that. Um, so if you're an audio listener, you've never tuned into the live show um, we're, we do this every Monday night uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern time, and Twitch actually does hold the video uh, for a significant amount of time. I think about two, two, three weeks, I believe. So if you want to go back and watch the recording, you certainly can. And we've actually been formatting them for YouTube as well, and we're going to continue to do that going forward. So if you miss the live show, you can essentially get the same experience, just a little bit less less interaction, I think, with 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 us kind of as the show is going on. If you check it out on YouTube, but I'm super excited to see what this what this turns into next week. Like. I mean, you guys have all seen the intro stuff. Like, it looks incredible. When Corey first sent me our new intro uh, in Slack, I, 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 I legit teared up. I got very emotional on how cool it was, and it's unlike anything we've ever done before. So much like the YouTube channel launched a couple weeks ago, it's going to fundamentally, I think, put us on a whole nother level. So very excited. We'd love to see you all here on Mondays to, to release that. Hopefully, it's next Monday. If it's not, it's the one after that. If not, it's you get it. It's coming. Uh, <laughs> so we are very stoked about that. couple of Patreon updates. Um, I want to say thank you to our new patron, Rob Neese. Uh, dude has been in our Discord for a while. We've loved talking to you, man, on Twitter and Discord and everything. And now he's joining the Patreon family. So thank you so much for coming on in there. Uh, a couple updates for your Patreon feeds. If you're not in Patreon, then you have not gotten the second episode of Lightspeed Skipping, which was absolute insanity. Today, there's a Legends Look Back episode featuring me and Charlie from the Ghost Crew. We talked all about the A.C. Crispin novel, The Paradise Snare, her first Han Solo book, which, Charles, I think I had to, like, fist fight you to get on that episode without you. I'm sorry about that. I know. I, I want it to be known that Jared messaged me and, and apologized <laughs> personally. He was like, we're going to get you on for the other two. I know this is your book. And I was like, in all seriousness, I was like, dude, I would love to chat Paradise Snare, but if we have a chance to get the actual ghost crew together <laughs> onto legends. Look back. We need to do it. So I'm super excited to hear this. 
yeah, it, it was it was a ton of fun. It's easily the longest Legends Look Back we've ever had. So if y'all are doing some work during the day or have a nice car ride coming up, uh, we would love you to listen to that. Speaking of the Ghost well, Crew, to go ahead. Interrupt a little bit. Sorry, Eric. Yeah, man. One more small kind of cool update. Um, we've, we've been teasing a little bit that Legends Look Back has got some cool stuff coming in the works as well. Um, I had some conversations with Jared this week. It looks like we're going to shoot for a mid-August, early September release of pushing that into a full weekly show live and everything on this channel. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I know we, we've, we've said that before on the show, but like we kind of have some tentative dates now too. So be on the lookout for that. That's going to be like two live shows in one week. I mean, I don't know what we're going to do. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be so much fun. And obviously there's so much Legends content to get to that bi-weekly just wasn't enough for us to get through it all. And those guys have, have really made that show something special. So very excited for that. Also looking at the chat here, Paul, do not worry. Even though there are changes, I will always give my opening spiel every week. I am way too power hungry and selfish not to do that. <laughs> uh, so back to uh, Patreon. Um, a lot of you on the Inquisitorious $10 level have been enjoying the Ghost Crew. And we thank you for that. Where me and Charlie talk all about Star Wars Rebels. We are taking a couple weeks off because we just finished Season 1. And... We've decided to unlock all the episodes of the Ghost Crew thus far for our $5 patrons, for our Guardian of the Wills and up. Uh, you guys can now join that now if you haven't. You get everything we've ever done that was used to only be for Inquisitorious members as a thank you for all, all of your support, all your love. Those are all available for you now. So if you join our Patreon now, you're going to get all of Legends Look Back, all of Lightspeed Skipping, Bounty Hunt, Ghost Crew, and this freaking show every single week. So there's never, never a better time. Corey, we recently ran a contest where people could fan cast their own Shadowfall squadron. And I believe we have some winners to announce along with some prizes. Yes, we do have some cool stuff. Wes, I actually have the, uh, I have it thrown up on our screen if you want to switch to that, um, switch to the screen cap. <clears throat> yeah, so we had a really cool competition um, in, in Discord for the last couple weeks. Uh, we had a, we called it Squadron Up. It was a lot of fun. So this was our first ever contest, and it has come to an end, and uh, it looks like our results are finally in. So what we did is we asked our community to map, map out their sort of acting dream team um, in our beloved Alphabet Squadron. Like, if it were to ever make an appearance on screen, like, wh who would play who? Um, it was super fun. We had a, a bunch of really awesome submissions, and uh, one member of our community... Uh, nailed the casting. We're going to give him a free T-shirt. So we're going to announce that live on the show tonight. Um, so before announcing uh, who is going to win the shirt, uh, we do want to reveal what all the casting was uh, for the um, for the competition. So let's start with Hera. It should come as no surprise as the voice of Hera herself, Vanessa Marshall, has been yeah. picked uh, to play her. Yes, in uh, in Alphabet Squadron. Um, next, we have the lead, the, the leader of squ the squadron, Erica Quell. This goes to someone already within the Disney family. She stars Princess Jasmine, the live version <gasps> of uh, Aladdin. Naomi Scott. Oh, my God. Perfect. Yep. Yep. Excellent cast. She was Excellent also cast. in the new Power Rangers movie, if anyone saw that. Oh, that's right. Chasna Chaddock, the Mohawk Thielen, uh, the pilots of B-Wing. This actor is no stranger to working with large franchises like X-Men, Divergent, Harry Potter, Spider-Man. Uh, Batman, so I think Star Wars is the next logical step. Obviously, we're talking about Zoe Kravitz. Yeah, that's... I see that? Kravitz? Kravitz, yeah. yeah. That, Excellent. Yeah, that, that's perfect. That's amazing. Um, we're nailing it so yes, far. Yes, <coughs> Nath Tinsent um, had a lot of really good choices that were submitted, but one actor had the most out of Whoa. anybody in any category by far, and that is the king of Rohan himself, yeah, Carl Kairos on Urban. Oh, 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 it looks like a <laughs> one. That's not Carl yep, Urban. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Carl, Carl Urban, Urban. Yes! Yes! 
Fantastic. That was a good one. That's um, a great backing choice. Up to, backing up to Kairos, I, I got ahead of myself. Um, this was interesting. No one knew what she looks like. Um, and I guess that's probably why it was such a close race. Uh, and so tied just one point behind the winner were Let, Letit- how do you say her name? Letitia? Letitia Wright. Letitia. Letitia. What am I thinking? Yep, Letitia, Letitia Wright. Wright. Uh, Tilda Swinton and Ronda Rousey. Um, wow. We had somebody come out just minutes before voting closed last night, and Rooney Mara is who they chose to play her, which is really an interesting choice. This yeah. One of the most interesting choices, I think, out of everybody. She's got great physicality with her acting, too, so I think that'd be sweet. Yes, yes, yes. And then, of course, the, the one that everyone has been waiting for. Uh-huh. Um, we had some really good <laughs> options in here. Uh, Naomi Scott's co-star in Aladdin, uh, Mena Masoud. Mas- I don't remember how to say his, how to say I think his it's Masoud. Um, we had a bit of a curveball. We didn't really anticipate, though, and that is our very own Eric Eilerson. <laughs> Was it, no kidding, um, uh, yes. high up in the list to play this. Nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> Eric, you're apparently the will that people want. Um, so, I, well, there you go. A, all right, uh, I, I, I'll accept. Where's the contract? I can finally stop doing everything else <laughs> I'm doing. I'm leaving all you suckers behind. That's uh, right. That's right. I'm best. That's right. Best compliment I've ever gotten. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys. Um, yeah, we had a bunch of them. Uh, high up in the list also was uh, Meet. I cannot remember how. To yeah, I think it's Mina Masood, I believe. Mina Masood. Yeah, yeah, he was high up too, which is also a good choice. But I mean, Eric, I'd give it to you. Oh, thanks, thanks, buddy. Oh, <laughs> that was an on-camera gig too, where we pulled that picture from. I am. I am yeah, on a local right. news show. That's right. That's right. So. Um, now that the casting is out of the way, uh, I want to remind everybody that the object of the competition was not to see who could get the most picks from their list, but they, there was like this kind of complex scoring system um, that each person got points for like the number of votes that their picks got. So the winner's list is kind of interesting. Um, our winner had casted Nicole Bahari as Hera, um, Haley Stainfield for Quell, Zoe Kravitz for Chas, Rooney Mara for Kairos, Charlie Hunnam for Nath, and Mina Masoud for... Or Masood for Will, and if you're listening to this, you're in your list sounds familiar, and your name is Aaron Motes. Then congratulations, because you get some free Yay. merch. Congrats! Well done. Congrats, Aaron. <clears throat> yep, Joxy will reach out in the next couple days in Discord to uh, give you that. But um, yeah, free free merch, man. That's awesome. I gotta say, guys, that squad makeup is like incredible. Um, put a Star Wars budget behind that. Put them on Disney Plus. Let's go. Like. Please. They already got the like you said. They got contact info for some of those people, so I would freaking love that. Well done, everyone. Fan casts are fun. I love. I'm that. still kind of uh, I'm still kind of butthurt that my pick didn't go for uh, Nath Tencent. So it was uh, Ooh, Backstreet Boy AJ McLean. He's. <laughs> I mean, come on, but whatever, that's fine. Solid <laughs> choice. Solid choice, nonetheless, Wes. I still believe in you, buddy. Oh, nice. Aaron Motes is live in the chat. So, oh, uh, cool. congratulations, man. Nice. Congrats. Nice job. Uh, we're, we'll bring that back uh, in future books, I am sure. All right. Last couple things we want to get to before we go back to the book in question, Shadowfall. Corey, can you walk us through the Utini updates from this week? What new articles do we have? What collections <clears throat> and videos are going on? Nice. Nice. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, we had a uh, bunch of stuff come out this week. Um, the Ultimate Guide to Canon, which is a full write-up all about the Canon Expanded Universe, how to get in for the first time. Again, these Ultimate Guides are meant to be a complete starting point. So if you have somebody that's interested in, in reading some Star Wars in your life, you can send them one of these guides, and it's really got everything they need to, to get 
get started. Excuse me. Um, we also had our, our Dr. Afra review come out this week. Uh, Eric, you wrote that one. Um, we all really liked Dr. Afra. I finished it like, a couple days ago. I really liked it, too. Um, it was a lot of fun. This upcoming week, like Eric's already mentioned, we have the Dark Legends review coming out. Also, the Ultimate Guide to Legends, which has uh, been requested of a whole bunch of times. So we're finally getting that one out. And hopefully a Queen's Peril review uh, video as well. So that's going to be um, a lot of fun. So um, lots of cool content coming out this week. Uh, we also had a, a new like uh, reading collection, right? These are like what to read after uh, watching The Mandalorian. So this will be an interesting uh, collection as well, if you guys haven't seen that. Yeah, not to be confused with books about Mandalorians. There are there's yes. some crossover. This is specifically, for, if you love that show, you're going to love this. Uh, Jared and Meg put a lot of work into that especially, so definitely go check that out. We do also have a couple new videos coming out this week. Uh, the Dark Legends review, which Eric has already mentioned, and the Ultimate Guides to Comics video is coming out in the next couple of days as well. So keep an eye on YouTube. Make sure to smash that like and subscribe button over on YouTube. <laughs> Sounds so natural when you say it. I love it. Uh, yeah, it's gosh, great. I hate that phrase. Everybody <laughs> says it, though, so you have to say it. So that's what it is. But, All right. Yeah, lots of big stuff is happening on a weekly basis. So Yeah, set those, set those notifications. We got YouTube, Twitch, the sites, Discord, everything. Uh, we're going to bring you guys as much as we can. And finally... Look ahead, everyone. Look at that new release calendar. We'd like to keep you guys informed of what books are coming out. This week, as we said, we got Star Wars Dark Legends. Freaking next week, we got Podammer and Freefall is already coming out. Uh, at the end of August, we have the Clone Wars Stories of Light and Dark. At the beginning of September, one week after that, these two-week release schedules, guys, I tell you, is Throne Ascendancy Chaos Rising. And as a reminder, in November, November 10th, from a certain point of view, Empire Strikes Back. So get those pre-orders in through utini.com, our new releases page. Get you to those book profiles. Hit those affiliate links. Get us a couple bucks. All right. Enough of that. Everyone, we would do book reviews right now. But because it's a roundtable episode, we got to go. And I've already talked way too much. Charles is chomping at the bit to talk about Shadowfall. You ready, buddy? I'm ready. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Uh, we're not going to waste any time. We uh, might as well all settle in because we're going to be here a while. Uh, <laughs> last week, just to remind everybody, we uh, started off our character section. We talked about some of the big players, but we didn't even make it all the way through Alphabet Squadron. So tonight we're going to kick it off talking about Mr. Nath Tenson, a.k.a. A.J. McLean. Is that right? That's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. Kidding. Um, and if y'all recall from last week, we're kind of talking about these characters um, based around what their skeleton in their closet or what I'm calling their demon is. And so Nath's demon, in my mind, is uh, that he has multiple allegiances to Aiden, to Alphabet Squadron, to the ground troops, etc. So let's look back at some of Nath's pertinent actions from Alphabet Squadron uh, to kind of remember what kind of character this is. So first of all, he used to be an Imperial who deserted, and then he flew with a different rebel squadron until all of those pilots were killed by Shadowwing. Then he eventually found his way to joining Alphabet Squadron. However, Karen Aiden was paying Nath on the side to essentially gather sensitive information on Erika Quell. And to do so, he really left Will hanging during the Battle of Pandem Nye. He left his droid to pilot his ship while he was off confronting grandmother um, and and doing that whole thing. So that kind of brings us up to date on Shadowfall. And in Shadowfall, we see Nath and Quell both go rescue Karen Aiden when he's been captured by stormtroopers. Nath makes the suggestion that they kill Karen Aiden 
and tell everyone that it was the stormtroopers. Now, why do you all think he made this kind of sudden proclamation as an idea that, that Quell should take up on? Because he's a badass. Okay. <laughs> no, um, because this, this is Alphabet Squadron. It is dark AF, man. That's yeah. why. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I think that like they, Nath is has always been kind of a practical guy. You know, like all the things you were saying in the first Alphabet Squadron. He's like, all right, I'm gonna make these moves because I know at the end of the day, this is how my life can turn out the best. This is how I can get mm-hmm. the advantages I need. I'm not gonna screw over anyone too badly, but if if I have to, then I have to. And I think that he does have an affinity for for his squadron at the start of this book. You can tell, especially Will. Um, yeah. But mostly, you know, it, it extends to Quell, it extends to Chas, it extends to Kairos to an extent. Nath cares about these people, and he's like, hey, man, we're friends now. What I see here is a way for you to get out of your horrible situation. So if you feel like you need to say no because a friend is watching you, I'm giving you permission to do it. So maybe he's like... You know, maybe giving her the the permission that she needs. Hmm. Yeah. Do you yeah, think that? Do you think that any part of it was Nath trying to get rid of the influence that that Aiden had over him? Because Ooh. you know he had a secret too that he had more or less betrayed his squadron, um, and that's exactly what Aiden was revealing about Quell. Mm. Maybe. I mean, certainly. I mean, possibly. Like. I don't know. I just Aiden is such an interesting character because he's very blackmaily. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like just like that's his entire purpose it seems like. It's just like he doesn't care about loyalty at all. It's just how can he use people and um I think Nath sort of just is like whatever, every man for himself and recognizes that Aiden has really screwed over kind of everybody in some way, so, you know. He just kind of tells it like he sees it. It's like, you know, if you were to kill him, I wouldn't really surprise me because I know he's going to have some dirt on you. So, yeah, he's yeah. like, this might make your life easier. If you don't want to, you don't have to. But if you want to, I'm not going to stop you. Like he's pretty, pretty blunt. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, he calls people out exactly like you're saying. He calls it like he sees it. But he also does kind of call himself out in this novel. Mm -hmm. And I thought that showed some growth on his behalf when he was talking to Will referencing the, the battle of Panem Nye and and essentially leaving Will hanging. He says back at Panem Nye, I didn't watch out for you. Like I should have, you called me on it and you were right to, I'm watching out for you now. You hear me? I hear you. Will said, and for the first time he thought he understood Nath Tencent. He'd always known Nath was manipulative and ruthless, but also sincere and good humored. He understood now that Nath was loyal more loyal in his way than most soldiers. Hmm. Do you all agree with that assessment from Will? Is Nath a loyal person? And if so, where are his loyalties? Are they to Alphabet Squadron? Are they in any part to Will in particular? I think that Nath is loyal the way that Han Solo is loyal. Ooh, like, yeah, I like that. He doesn't, he doesn't really want to be loyal, but he probably is deep down. Like he wants to pretend he doesn't care about the cause, but he does care about the cause. So, I I think this that particular line was kind of specifically in in regards to Will's judgment of Nath, like at his core. Like he's saying that like at his core, he's an incredibly loyal person. But you have to like get on his get in his inner circle, kind of. 
Yeah, and, and, I, and I like that because I think that Nath also gives loyalty based on deeds. Like, he's not going to be loyal to someone just because, oh, you're in the same military as I am, boom, you automatically have my loyalty. Or you're in the squadron, boom, you have my loyalty. But if you do things that show that you're going to be loyal to him, he's going to give it right back. You know, it, it's that whole you got to give respect to get it kind of thing. And I think that every member of the squad will especially proved that they were going to look out for his back in the first ones. So he was like, great, I got you. Like, easy. And I think with the people that they lead throughout the rest of this book, him and Will, I think that he notices their their deeds. And when they excel, then he's like, all right, great, I trust you now. But before they do, he's like, there's a definite chance they could die. And that's just kind of the reality of life. Um, real quick, though, I want to take a tangent because Juliana asked a question in the chat I want to address. She mm-hmm. says, so as I am a Legends person now, which is if you all been following in Discord, Juliana's been hardcore into Legends lately, reading a ton of New Jedi Order. Uh, and she asks, and I want to throw this to you guys because you'll know better than I do. Is Alphabet Squadron, are they like the Rogues? Now, two books in, are, are the similarities to Rogue Squadron increasing or decreasing? That's wow, a that, that's a really good question. Um, there are some similar characteristics. There are, yeah. I, so I don't think that you can really draw like one-to-one comparisons necessarily between, oh, so like this person in Rogue Squadron is the Will Lark. Or anything like that. Um, and far be it for me to call anyone a Corrin Horn that's in this novel. But <laughs> Maybe in this chat, it's not in this novel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are definite similarities. I mean, you know, aside from the really obvious things, it's a book about pilots. It's a book about a squadron going on missions, etc. Um, there are some similarities between the dynamics between different characters. Because Rogue Squadron has a lot of... Uh, double crossing and a lot of questioning people's motives and things of that nature that, that totally relate to, you know, what we're talking about right now with Nath Tenzin. So there are a lot of similarities in that respect, but very, very different vibe, very, very different series. Um, Corey, I'm sure you would agree with that. The legend stuff just has a certain flavor to it. Yeah. It's like he man (laughs) 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 or like, I don't know. Legends is, is very much, like these overly uh, I'm not, like I love legends. Don't think of being negative. It's like these crazy, unrealistic, like superhero like characters in a lot of ways. And everybody is like an ultra specialist at, at, at stuff and it's it's epic and yeah. It has the it really does have that like that sort of nineties action cartoon feel to it in a lot of ways. Um and I, I think the Rogue Squadron books are certainly um certainly more like that i think in this book this book is a little i like to say these books are a little deeper like psychologically than maybe the rogue squadron books are but the rogue squadron books do certainly have a lot of characters that like have some baggage right Mm -hmm. corn horn and who else is in rogue squadron it's been a long time since i've read those the other ones the young dark lighter but gavin dark lighter oral craig come on guys (laughs) (laughs) i've only read one I gotta there's, get better at it. There's there's a lot more humanity and relatability to these characters. I will I will 100% agree with that. Great note. Yeah. So thanks, Juliana, um, for bringing that up. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so kind of getting back to Nath and talking about how none of these characters have superhero like abilities. Let's talk about how Nath blocked like a missile with his ship by like <laughs> turning up this his is, deflectors and like just spinning in a 360 and just dude, this is matumboing. some fast and furious just stuff right here this is like, oh my god yes 
Great Matumbo pull. Yeah, Love but that. I mean, did did that blow you guys away? Because I I thought he was like sacrificing himself, and then he pulled that off, and I was just I was I was shocked. I I didn't even know that was possible. Um, have you guys? Do you guys? This is a crazy tangent, but certainly related to where I think this was inspired by. Do you guys know anything about the German V two rockets in World War Two? Somehow I they don't, were, yes. Corey. <laughs> Yes, extensively, yes. but why don't you tell us anyways? <laughs> <laughs> so the German V2 was, uh, they were large rockets, and like they were very much technologically ahead of their time. Like so much so that there was virtually no defense like um, by the Allies against these early on. And um, the Germany didn't start using them until really late in World War II, like towards the end of the war. Um, and like, they really thought like this was like this is where you see all the sci-fi movies and stuff where like there's there's like a robot Hitler and he's like obsessed with these crazy like super weapons and stuff. This is like in the vein of that is the is the German V two rocket and it was it was a missile a rocket unlike techn like technology like we use in modern warfare right and um, it wasn't like a bomb you drop out of a out of a uh, plane it was a rocket that you shot off of like a silo thing it was crazy ahead of its time. Um, well, the uh, British pilots figured out that the only defense that they had against these rockets was to get a fighter plane literally right up next to the rocket, and it would, like, throw its velocity off, and they could dive it into the ground. So, wow. like, these super crazy risky pilots would literally fly within inches of these rockets that are flying at ultra high rates of speeds, much faster than the planes fly, by the way. So they have to, like, catch it at a weird velocity and like come within inches of it and it would throw its direction off and throw it into the ground. And a ton of people died trying this. Like, but it was like, it was like a, the ultimate test of, of, of a pilot is, is having to, to, to take out these rockets and stuff. So this is absolutely the first thing that popped into my head when this whole scene happened, because it was very similar to what happened in, in, in this book was like the way these pilots had to take these rockets out. That's a great, I, I freaking love that. And, and knowing, free talking to him i bet he, that definitely came into the research and and i think this book is also to to that point charles this book is great at giving each pilot kind of their hero moment because quill also has that moment where she tractor beams the meteor into the hangar which was my personal favorite oh my god is yeah. this happening pilot maneuver and i think that was kind of cool because the first book we got them all becoming you know a squadron and they did some cool stuff but they were always kind of getting out by the skin of their teeth this book is like oh no they're stars of their own book series for a reason, because they can do this crazy stuff. And I loved that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was that was really interesting, Corey. I, uh, thanks for that refresher. I had forgotten a lot of that information. <laughs> but, no, I think it makes sense. I mean, Freed is a military writer. He probably does know about that. And he gave us a, an awesome moment in this book. It was Nath's hero moment, just like you said, Eric. And... That's cool mm -hmm. that there's some history behind that as well. Uh, so to wrap up kind of questions about Nath, guys, I think I have the same question that I had for you last time we talked about him. But is he or is he not going to betray Alphabet Squadron? Nah. No? Is he? No. No. I think I think Will's got it nailed. I think he is like more loyal than he makes himself out to be. So I like it. I like it. I'm in yep. agreement. I'm in agreement. Now let's move on to the greatest member of Alphabet Squadron. Let's talk about Kairos. Knew it! All right. <laughs> and Kairos' demon is that 
well, she kind of is a demon. That she's a demon. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> page 17, we get the quote, uh, or not the quote, but but rather we see that the, the ground troops have a ton of respect for Kairos, for the fact that she flies a U-wing, that's a troop ship, and she really goes very far in trying to protect, trying to protect them. Um, she will stay, you know, in the battle area when she's been told to pull back just to save a few more lives. She really puts herself in danger for them. And they like her for that reason. They cheer her whenever she gets back, uh, to the base and she doesn't seem to be affected whatsoever. I mean, she doesn't even acknowledge it. Right. Um, where do you think that comes from where she seems to have such an affinity towards them in her actions, but only when she's in a ship? I think it leads, it, it leans into the mystery of the character. Really. I think that we're not really going to understand everything slash most things about Kairos to the end of the third book, if we do it all. And I think that something in her past traumatized her to the point where she's, going to do the mission and that's it because something else you know got in the way or or there's that that's part of her own personal trauma recovery is that there's the mission and that's all there is because anything else is too much maybe but i do love the fact that they recognize it, it seems very military right i recognize that you're here to help me and i respect you because of that regardless of if we chat we don't have to hang out but I will love you and respect you because the ship you fly literally symbolizes aid and help. And you're choosing to do that for me. Yeah, I don't I don't have a whole lot to add to that either. I mean, it seems like, I don't know, Kairos had such a strange attachment to infantry, which was very interest, interesting, I thought. Um, like, she seems to, I don't know, resonate with, with that particular soldier for some reason. I mean, she like crashed her ship that, that whole scene was awesome i think she did she crash yes she got shot oh yeah rocket. oh she crashed oh, through she, yeah she crashed and then like jumped out and was fighting on the ground like that was pretty 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 crazy yeah I also mean, let's, uh let's to, talk to, about that. Ta- to tangent for a hair just for the record it, it was it was a german <laughs> v1 flying bomb not the v2 i was wrong i'd look up i looked up on wikipedia <laughs> anyway continue close enough Close enough. It was the it was the B two super battle droid, not not the B one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so you know, let's talk about that moment where where Kairos essentially lays down her life. I mean, that's what I'm gonna that's what I'm gonna call it because it very much seemed to be what her intent was. So she yeah protected those troops until the last second that she possibly could. Her U wing was more or less destroyed. She was shot down. Things were blowing up all around her, and then she continued to fight. Uh, basically she was laying in the rubble, just barely able to lift a gun and was still firing, um, still firing at the, at the stormtroopers. So as she was laying there, we got this quote. She felt air against her skin. Her forearm wrappings were scorched. She had broken her last vow. What do you think that means? What, what might her last vow be and how was she breaking it? Was it by dying was it by not protecting someone? Was it by having her wrappings come off and showing her skin? Ooh, I like all three of those for different reasons, honestly. The wrappings thing is interesting because, I mean, I'm a sucker for any kind of ritual thing or costuming. Like, I, that's fun. I think that, that could be a cool little backstory thing. But having the vow not to die, I think, is the strongest story choice. Like, you know, she promised someone someday that she wouldn't die no matter what, or she wouldn't let another person die on her watch, maybe. 
I think well, there's something really says in this there. book that he didn't think Kairos could die. He makes that statement. That's right. That's right. Uh, what, I is think that, what is that even? What does that even mean? <laughs> that is she's she, a demon. <laughs> is she a cyborg? <laughs> she's something. I mean, we do. I mean, I know we're we're getting to that um, later on, He's but we more machine now than man. <laughs> <laughs> we do see see her, you know, at, at near the end of the book. So there is something odd. You know, there's something going on there with her. So she's not just purely human. So maybe there's something to that, but it also could be a little more metaphorical. Like, you know, when you see your friend, she crashes over and over and she fights like a demon. And I don't know, maybe she can't die. That sounds crazy. But, you know, she's done all these amazing things so far. Who's to say she couldn't do them over and over again? She's fascinating. Yeah. I like her. Yeah. Rooney Mara, Kairos. Dude, I'm telling you, Kairos is, is the way to go. Um, page 93, we get the quote, Kairos had been at war with herself. Her spirit sundered. She'd often thought of leaving her people leaving the defector, leaving Aiden, but she would not leave Aiden. Um, so this quote, interestingly enough, makes it seem like Kairos might be more devoted to Aiden than to Alphabet Squadron itself. Mm-hmm. So now that Aiden is gone, and Kairos does not necessarily know this yet, Ooh. will she care to continue working with Alphabet Squadron? And if so, why? Ooh. That's an interesting question. Yeah. Probably. Probably. For no other reason than this is a trilogy and she's a good character. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but third um, book, you can do whatever you want, you know? That's right. That's right. I mean, I don't know. She's it, w- it was kind of implied that, that Aiden, Kairos, and the droid were loyal to each other because they escaped prison together, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. I assume, I assume that's why they all know each other, but I don't know why they would be we don't know the details of that story. Maybe she'll maybe she'll tell us. I don't know. I think there is something to be said though about the fact that the trio escaped and while she was under and unable to help, the other two died. You know? So I think that there could be a sense of betrayal or a sense of failure that comes out of her in the third book because of that. Like, if her only job really was to protect those other two and the three of them swore that, you know, we're together, we're in it to the end. Um, I can only imagine how horrible it's going to be for her to end end the book like healed in a way, but also shattered in an entirely new, entirely new way. That's going to be that's going to be horrendous and right uh, right on track for Alphabet Squadron's trauma. I think. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so let's talk about Kairos returning from the dead, more or less, because again, we thought she died when she got her ship shot down and. And uh, she broke her last vow, whatever that does mean. But she returns on page 390, and she simply states, I am healed. She had like two lines in this book, which is pretty par for the course for her. (laughs) And one of them is, I am healed. But let's read the full quote here together, because it's really (laughs) creepy. It's really creepy. It says, the woman's legs wobbled with each step. She looked like an ATST crossing an oil slick, but she was powering through and didn't fall. She was wrapped in loose gray claws that looked sewn together from shredded blankets and stained sheets. Nath figured they couldn't help her awkward walk. He didn't recognize her species, certainly didn't recognize her features. What he initially took to be skin was a set of chitinous plates perfectly covering her bald head. Gaps in the mauve plating revealed deep-set eyes and thin black lips. As she drew closer, she, uh, he saw that the plate's edges were chipped and discolored. She gave the impression of a creature scarred. 
impressions. I, I, I can't even imagine what that like my mind's eye was really all over the place during that description. Like like it's most of a mix of like I don't know, like a stuffed animal with like patches sewn all over them. <laughs> And, and a bug like, person. And and a crab. <laughs> you know you know what I a thought snow of? Crab. You know what the chitinous plate comment made me think of more than anything else for our Legends fans out there? Darth Bane's Orbalisk armor. Yes, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's just a good, that's yeah. good reference. I, it's not that. I'm, no, it can't be. Let's say that. But, but that is pretty cool. Or maybe, all right, guys, you heard it here first. Confirmed rumor, uh, Kairos is Bane. I think that's it. <laughs> we figured it out. Put it on screen rant now. But no, I I do think that it's going to be a new species uh, that mm-hmm. we haven't seen before because he I think he would have written it if we if we knew it. I mean, Star Wars authors are pretty good about that generally. I feel, but I do love that she is something new. That she is I'm very I'm very interested in the la- in the language that that she she speaks. Like she, it sounds like like it's described multiple times as being this sort of guttural sound effect thing, right? Like, but. Uh, she can also speak some basic, apparently. I mean, she yeah, says she I'm speaks healed, basic fine. But it's like, is it like, <laughs> is that what it sounds like? <laughs> that might be it. That might be it. <laughs> no, I mean, if you listen, to, I think in the in the audiobook, right, it's just kind of like a, like, I got it, or like, there's like whispers and like phlegm and chitons. Oh. I don't know. It's 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 weird. And I, I really hope that she gets to be this like really loquacious character in the third book i think that'd be kind of fun to see her really evolve and come into her own now that she's not hidden behind like behind all these masks and bandages i hope she i hope she becomes a character like old greg that's what i want (laughs) wow no that'd be something there's there's the fan casting for the next one (laughs) (laughs) she's just just kicked up in the opening scene of alphabet squadron three drinking some baileys (laughs) You want some Baileys? You ever drink blue milk from from a a shoe? shoe? Oh my god. (laughs) We're so off top. And we go forward. Push (laughs) this. Push this. Oh. All right. Well, the next question prompt is about Baileys as close as you can get to Baileys without getting your eyes wet. So. I'm so sorry if you're listening and you don't know what old Greg is. Do not go look it up. <laughs> go look uh, that up on YouTube right now. It's absolutely fantastic. All right. Well, let's let's move on to the old Greg of this trilogy for real and talk about Karen Aiden. Um, <laughs> on, on page 35, we see that Aiden still refers to Alphabet Squadron as, and I quote, the New Republic Intelligence Working Group on the 204th Imperial Fighter Wing. What does that say about him and his lack of connection to the squadron i don't aiden is such a weirdo and i can't not picture the uh who is the the alien with the with the stock guardians of the galaxy Sleaze that's Pagano. Ab, that's is it really Sleaze Pagano? i always call him Sleaze bagano but it's Sleaze bagano uh, i don't know that's how i say it but know, you know. death stick man for those of y'all following along at home uh, I was thinking of the chick from Guardians of the Galaxy, but yes. Oh, oh Mantis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the emotion girl with the stalks. Yeah. yeah, the stupid little head stalks. And like there's some I don't know what it was, but something about like when uh when when Erica found him and like specifically talks about his bent antenna stalk multiple times, that just like really grossed me out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I'm just like just this fleshy thing on his head is bent and broken. It just Something about that just gets under my skin. I don't know. You're a doctor. Don't you see bent, broken flesh all day as a requirement for your job? Yeah, 
Does it have a bone in it? Like what? What is a tentacle? <laughs> is it what is, it is a tentacle? Is it springy? <laughs> what is it? Well, they're retractable. <laughs> yeah, true. Are they? Yeah, yeah. They can pull them into their head. Well, aside from they the can. bendy flesh tentacle, uh, I <laughs> That's think disgusting. Um, so crisp. They must have some kind of telescopic feature. <laughs> to the original question posed about whether him calling them the working group. I think it's interesting because it is the last way he can kind of save power, right? He's like, you have all actually proved you can function without me, but I will not give you the respect of using your actual name of your squadron. I will not, I will not identify you as the thing you have decided. I will basically name you what I have named you. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like in a way, like when, when people refu- refuse to use a trans person's pronouns or a non-binary person's like preferred pronouns, <laughs> they're like, no, 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 no. You don't get to decide what you are. My power over you is that I will call you what I think you are. And it's like, because uh, the, they know they don't have any power over that person anymore. So it's kind of a last grasp. And I feel that's Aiden throughout this book is realizing just how little power he actually has over them. And he's so scared oh, yeah. of that. Yeah. He's a giant douche. <laughs> pretty, yeah. pretty much straight up. Like, seriously, like I really found him a, a, painful character to even get behind at all like, yeah. like even even when he shares moments of growth with like erica he will end up doing something really sleazy i feel like yeah well, and i will say on the tail of all of that hilarious because i actually want to slightly contradict Corey here i really liked him in this book i think it might mostly be <laughs> in that one chapter that everyone talks about but like his for some reason he was really enthralling to me as i read this time much more than an alphabet and I can't put my finger on what it was, but I just liked the way he was written. I liked the way that I could kind of see his desperation grow and then kind of see that mold into the little bit of insanity that he got and then that mold into a little bit of acceptance. And it's like it, it was a really fascinating way to basically see him through Quell's eyes just kind of degrade into nothing. And it was it was it was really harrowing, actually. Yeah, I I thought it was definitely a humanizing moment, and we're gonna come to that later. But to your point, Eric, I mean, anytime someone values power over anything else, to see them in their dying moments in these stories, whether that be Sith or whether that be Karen Aiden, it's always a it's always a really impactful moment because it's the yeah. loss of absolutely all all power. Right. Um, what did you guys think about his decision to out quell? in this book how did it serve him to more or less destroy the squadron and destroy quell's reputation um if he were to die because i think that's that's how he had more or less programmed the message was to go out if he was missing for more than whatever 72 hours yeah it's like a bad group text he's like oh (laughs) no i didn't mean to set that It's like 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 you're in a giant group text with a bunch of your friends, and like one of them breaks up with the other one and just starts trashing them in the group text, and everybody's just like really uncomfortable and like, ooh, I, I don't want to get involved, but he's really being a douche. Like, yeah, <laughs> like I I get fundamentally why Aiden put that failsafe in to start with, right? When he when he didn't know Quell's allegiance, when he when he knew that he still had to like use blackmail to keep her on the on the up and up. I completely understand why you would put that failsafe in. Like, if she kills me, at least I can take her down. Hundred percent mm. makes sense. I get that. That was my that was my big question: is was the failsafe in place because he assumed that, like, if he died, like in the middle of a war, 
that it would be her fault. That yeah, was really that's the weird 100%. part. No, I thought, why would he ever think he would see frontline action, you know? Like, I think he's I he's always in the back lines, and he's like, if someone kills me, it'll be an assassination. Like, but there's he no was way like that I'm on going the, down. But he was, like, on the Lodestar for a lot of the time, and, and, I mean, that got blown up in this book. So, I mean, there were other ways he could have died in battle. Oh, yeah. Right. It's not a perfect plan. <laughs> like, it's, I think there's, but, like, there's obvious but holes don't in think it. it's... Don't you think it's somewhat self-destructive, though, knowing that it would blow up his working group and like his whole goal was to take down Shadowing and that would more or less get in the way of that happening? I think he sees it that if he's dead, he cannot have any glory through it. So why does it matter? Mm. Or like if he's dead through Quell's actions, that means that the group has killed him and therefore deserve to be destroyed. That's so Operation Cindery. It's not yeah, baby. It is very Operation Sindreed. I don't know. I, I did find the decision interesting. Like, like I, I definitely hear where you're coming from, Eric, of like, yeah, he would just assume that, that she was the one that killed him. But I feel like that's a, it's a really deep thing, I feel like, because he's, there's a lot of, like, she's not the only one who's got kind of a beef with him on the team, right? Like, mm-hmm. Nath and him are kind of weird. So, yeah. I don't know. I just found it very interesting that, that, this was the fail safe. It's like he totally outs Quell. Yeah, well, and I, I think know. the only people he trusts in think. the yeah the only people he trusts in the world in the universe are definitely Kairos and ITO. So I think that ultimately mm-hmm. he's like, if the squadron's gone, knowing Kairos, she'll be fine. She'll go off do something else. Like, and, and if she knows about the betrayal, she would want to know anyway. So great. And ITO is just going to be loyal to whoever he needs to be loyal to. So like, as long as those two are set, I think he honestly didn't care what happened to anyone else. Yeah. yeah, Alex makes a good point in the chat where he, that he says that um, Aiden took him on a really interesting journey. Like that's a good way to put it. It's like his arc is—I don't know that he's a good guy. Like, I don't think he is. Like, is he a is he a villain though? I don't think that either. I don't I think he lives in the know. middle. Yeah, I think most characters in this story do, and that's what makes it so interesting. Yeah. Ding ding ding. That's what I think, at least. Yeah. Now, let's talk a little bit more about his relationship. You know, Eric, I think you just mentioned that he only trusts Kairos and ITO. And let's talk about why that is. So in this book, we learn more about his history. On page 95, we see that Aiden actually worked for a financial company. Uh, More or less, he worked for IGBC Financial Review. I guess it was really like he was a reporter for this company. Um, And it was on Munilinst, the home of the Mune. So that totally makes sense because he would have gotten along with Rush Clovis pretty well. Oh, um, my God, yeah. They, he they was, both could have been punched in the face so many times. <laughs> <laughs> so he was imprisoned by Imperials for an article that he wrote. And he ultimately escaped that prison along with Kairos in a reprogrammed ITO with the help of another prisoner. Um, so, you know, ITO was actually the torture droid that was torturing him and Kairos and the other prisoners to get information from them for the Imperials. They reprogrammed him and they managed to escape. What were your thoughts overall on his backstory? And specifically, what do you think that it says about Aiden that he's, he's hung on so tightly to Kairos and ITO, given that they represent such a terrible time in his life? I think because they represent that time, they're the only people that will understand it. I think that that is a pretty consistent thing you see with victims of trauma is that it's a lot easier to identify with other people who have gone through similar traumas or similar events because 
who else could possibly know what I'm going through? Who else could possibly conceive of my day-to-day life other than these people? So I think that they also had to trust each other immediately. I mean, a prison break, once you're doing it, you you got to trust the other people 100% or else you're all going to die. So and you say you that solidi- from personal experience. Let's be 100%. Clear. Every time I escape, it's with <laughs> the people I trust the most. Uh, <laughs> but I think there's the idea that, you know, you have that cemented trust immediately and you have a shared experience that can never be taken away and no one else can ever possibly hope to penetrate. Um, and finally, I, you know, as, as dark as it is, that he wrote an article speaking out and then got imprisoned for it. It's like, well, I wish that the idea of speaking out against the tyrannical government and getting captured wasn't as pressing as it is right now. But it's like, man, um, you think about people right now that are getting sharing a lot of very dark experiences speaking out against things and it's like you know that is very traumatic and it creates these lifelong bonds of strength and resolve and i don't think that's any different in in the world than it is in star wars yeah yeah that's a great point um well let's move on from aiden's past and talk about his death you know a lot of people in (laughs) his lack of future yeah his (laughs) the end um a lot of people in the chat are talking about the cave sequence Y'all mm-hmm. have already referenced it a couple of times, but really it's Aiden's final conversation with Quell. He gets, essentially gets delirious. He gets like septic and gets delirious. And uh, on page 330 in his final conversation with Quell, I want to talk about his response to Quell's declaration that she's a coward. We covered that last week. And his response is, aren't we all? And that was not what I was expecting him to say. But what, what do you think that means? What was he saying? I mean, we're all scared of death, I think, is mm. something, you know, that there's this idea that heroes have to be unafraid of everything. And that's the that's the idea. That's what courage could be. But there's the reality that everyone is scared of something and the real bravery is to overcome that and work anyway. And that doesn't mean you're not going to have dark days. It's not going to mean that there's going to be days where you're too scared to get out of bed or something, but okay. How about the next day? How about the next mission? How about that? So I think he's telling Quell in this moment when he's feeling particularly vulnerable that he's probably terrified all the time of, of maybe her betraying him, but also maybe just, of anything, of any kind of death, of failing his mission, you know? And he's basically saying, cool, I'm scared too, but now what are you going to do? Like, you still got to go forward. We still got to move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not only that, like, heroes are not afraid of death, but, like, cynics also, <laughs> which I can certainly relate to a lot because I'm quite cynical. It always comes up in my performance reviews. <laughs> um <laughs> Like, uh, you you get a good taste of this in the new Afra book too, because Afra is very much a cynic, and like she faces similar similar issues of like she's afraid of death and that sort of thing. And I don't know. Um, I, I like the. What, do you remember what? Do you remember what question that that Erica asked him? And he says, "I manage." What was that? Um, what was the question? She basically said, "Like, how do you?" I, I think I have it somewhere in this doc, but she basically says, "Like, how do you?" how do you move forward or, or, or something like that from such terrible things that have happened to you? And, and he says like, 
I manage Eureka Quell. I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of depth to their relationship and how this sort of changes right here at the very end. And I'm not really sure exactly what we're supposed to take away from this. And as with a lot of Freed's very much deep writing, like we're not really supposed to have a single thing we take away from it. Like there's a lot of lessons here. And, right. And that's what's so interesting about the Alphabet Squadron series is that there's so much depth to the characters that it's not just know a similar trope that we already know right like yeah. this is it's something aiden is both a good guy and a bad guy and his morals are questionable and his story is character shaping so and quell doesn't know what she's supposed to do with the information herself which is very interesting right like she, she doesn't even know what lesson she's supposed to take away from this and it's very interesting that she jumps from hanging out with aiden on this planet to uh making some really dumb decisions at the very end of the book. So mm -hmm. potentially. And I, but I think you're, you're absolutely right. There are so many things we can take away from it. And ultimately I think Aiden at the end is saying, you know what? I can think things are black and white. I thought you were black and white when you first got here, but ultimately it's all kind of in the middle, isn't it? And we can't live our lives based on that. I think he honestly regrets sending the message like at the end of it all. I think if you, if you had, really? if you had asked him, I think he would have been like, you know, kind of in those in those twilight moments you see everything for what it really is potentially and yeah. i think he gets there sure okay so yes or no guys sad to see aiden go eh. surprisingly eh. <laughs> i i'm I glad he's dead <laughs> <laughs> i almost cried legit and it was so surprising to me because i didn't think i would be there at all but I, that was one of those, like, I got to close the book and walk away for a little bit moments. And I think it's just because of how he wrote the slow degradation of them. Because I think yeah. watching anyone slowly degrade, like, they say it's always the hardest part of death, right, is the people around you, is watching it happen. And he really walked us through every little bit of it. And you're watching him decline, and it's hard. And then when it's over, you're like, man, that was that was rough. Like, he was an asshole, but that was still hard to go through as a reader. And I think that speaks more to free, maybe even more to freed skills into the character itself. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I got more respect for him there in those final moments, but overall I just, I still didn't like the character very much, but let's talk about someone who I think we all will agree that we like, and that is Hera Syndulla. Yeah, yeah. So she's, She's gone for a lot of this book. I mean, we don't have that much time with her, but I want to talk about her just for a second. Um, specifically, one moment on page 70 where Harris says, the timing will be challenging, but I don't see a way to make it easier. Not unless someone's got a Jedi hidden away. No one spoke up. I can dream, Sindula said, and her smile was sadder than Quell would have expected. Mm. So, you know, we know it's a reference to Kanan, but... How did that moment hit you to, to see her reference Kanan in Shadowfall? Like something that really has nothing to do with him, but seeing that reference pulled in. I mean, that's the beauty of the expanded universe. We've talked about it a thousand times, and I love that we're getting subtle tie-ins to both old content and subtle tie-ins of animated content. It's, it's great. I love seeing these types of things. And it makes it emotional because those scenes that we see on screen, I think, hit you harder than the emotion of books do in a lot of ways. So to have this sort of reference in there was, was heavy. I really liked it. 
Yep. Agreed in all points. Made me really sad. Really hit me exactly how it had to. I'm also glad it was one line and then we moved on because it was exactly what it had to be. Yeah. I miss him. Uh, me too, man. But, you know, all the members of Alphabet Squadron have to bear their scars in these novels. And Hera has her own past that haunts her. And a lot of that does revolve around Kanan. What lessons do you think she took from Kanan for leading the New Republic battle group that she's in charge of? Ooh. Oh, gosh, that's a heavy question. I know. Um, I don't know, man. Like, listening, like, I think she lot of, she learned a lot of lessons that by proxy to K- to Kanan, that Kanan had to learn for himself. Yeah. Like, being worthy and, um, like, being a capable leader and, like, listening to, like, your heart, I guess, is a, to choose a cliche term. Like, Kanan was really wishy-washy about his commitment to things. So... Hera had to learn that it wasn't just about her crew; it was about a bigger picture. So, um, yeah, this is this is a whole episode. I mean, this is a, this is the Ghost Crew, right? Like, this is, this is the whole <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of show, Eric. And I think that's also like you know the idea that uh, while the mission is also important, there is also that opposite thing that she can follow it that saving the lives of those you love can matter just as much. And I think we see that, and I'm looking at the outline here where we're about to talk about here, Charles, like that you can try to save people and saving people doesn't make you weak. Like looking, looking at people as individuals instead of just mission objectives isn't heroic. It, you know, you can be emotional. You can allow that to happen. And we see Hera balance that a lot, but in this book, I think that she's not really afraid to show how much she cares for other squadrons and other people in the new Republic, because at the end of the day, that is what separates them from the empire is care and love. Right. And the moment that you're talking about, Eric, is at the end of the novel, essentially, Hera, again, was gone for most of it. She was on this undisclosed mission with Vanguard Squadron that may or may not be elaborated on in the upcoming Squadron's video game. But it has to. It's that makes so much is. sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was too perfect of a setup. But how great of a moment was her return to Troy in the New Republic's time of need? It, for me, it was like it was literally Gandalf arriving at the battle of Helm's deep <laughs> like yep. it was the star wars equivalent of that it was so glorious yeah like or it's lights. like an, an end game the where third uh, day yeah it's that moment it's the best moment in in, in fantasy y'all it's it's Han solo coming with the Millennium falcon yeah. but then it keeps getting bigger and bigger and it's that moment in end game where where falcon just says on your left and the thing appears like it's the moment where the heroes are down but then the one person who's been gone the whole movie is like hey what's up I, it was epic. It was great. I was so happy. Yeah, perfect Hera moment, I think. Really gave her a moment to shine. She didn't have a ton of real estate in this book, but the time and the pages that she got really developed her character well, I think. Um, so let's move from the leader of the New Republic battle group and talk about the leader of Shadowing, Mr. Soren Keys. So we have a little bit of a quick recap on Keys. Let's talk through what we know about him uh, from Alphabet Squadron moving into this book. So he used to be one of the commanders of Shadow Wing, but he ended up deserting the unit shortly after Operation Cinder around the same time as Quell when he told her to desert. He then traveled around the galaxy under the alias of Devon, trying to live a life outside of war between the Empire and the New Republic. Ultimately, he's forced to kill some New Republic agents who come after him 
and realizes that he's never going to be free from the war. And so he vows to return to shadowing and lead instead of the recently deceased Shakar Nares. So that brings us up to date now. On page 22 of Shadowfall, we get the quote, He'd called Nares grandmother. They all had once, in sly admiration of the woman who had made the 204th into one of the Empire's finest fighter wings. She'd been his friend, and in honor of her memory, among other reasons, he'd come to take command to reshape the unit after once refusing to shed his blood with the pilots in their darkest hour. His homecoming had been difficult. Command was not what he had been given. (laughs) So what lessons do you think Keyes took out of the fact that he was not immediately given command of shadowing? And furthermore, what did we learn about him from how he handled that experience? Firstly, I want to say that Soren Keyes was my favorite character to read about. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and I'm really glad that we we got a lot of his character development and such because um, I'm really fascinated with the idea of leaders that are in charge of a lot of other people that make really rash decisions. It's very interesting because um, just the, the journey that you have to go through in your own mind to make really big decisions like this is 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 very emotionally powerful and then you see them realize that they've made a mistake perhaps and sort of backtrack on that decision making is also very interesting to me so i don't i don't know like i'm very i'm very confused about where his loyalties actually lie is it to the philosophy of the empire is it to his unit like there are a lot of layers to his character i believe Oh, yeah, I I completely agree. And I think that's what made Key such a cool character in this novel is that he does kind of go back and forth in our eyes, but I think he always knows where his loyalties are. We're just not necessarily privy to everything as readers. And if if you had to, you know, ask me straight up, I think his loyalties are to the ideals of what the Empire was when he was in it and when it was respectable and it was honorable and it was about – it was about peace and about bringing about the – you know, protecting a squad, bringing about order in the galaxy and things like that. I don't think he likes the Operation Cinder stuff or any of the extremism, but he's like... Or the warlord type of thing. Exactly. Like, he's I, just really against all that. Like, I think I think he's set up very, very well to be instrumental in the founding of the First Order. Like... Yes. Like, I, I like he has a sort of depth to his, like, strategic thinking that not many other Imperials have. Like, it's like a couple steps ahead of the philosophy. Like, Tarkin was just all into the Empire, right? He, like, totally bought into the philosophy of the Empire, of order and power and politics and all that kind of thing. And like The fashion, um, the pants. Yes. Exactly. The boots. <laughs> the shoes. Yeah, yes. he loved it. Like, but there are a handful of Imperials that, that sort of seem to be always thinking above that, of, like, you know... One war is another war. Like, uh, like Wedge Antilles is kind of like this in a lot of ways. Like he's like, like he seems to always be having commentary about like, what is the rebellion? Do they really need me right now? Like maybe my purpose we- is Wedge. Else. God, Wedge does not want to be most places he is. Exactly, <laughs> which is great which, though. Yeah, it's in Storm Keys is all like that as well. Is like, he's he's very tactical about all of his decision making. It's not really to serve any mission like it's it's it changes based on the situation which i find super fascinating absolutely and i think it makes him such a cool character and i'm so glad 
that he got to be written, uh, not bluntly, but I guess with, without any hiding of his character, this this book. Like, the Devon stuff was really cool. I really loved that at the end. Um, you know, retroactively, I was like, why are, these pic- why are we getting these chapters as a random dude? But I'm really glad that from the beginning of this book, he just got to be himself. Because it really let him evolve in a really cool way. Loved yeah. it. Now, we do get the quote on page 22, Devin could have never survived in the 204th. And I thought that was a really interesting quote. That was from Keyes I'm himself. I'm so glad so. you put that quote on here. Yeah, let's talk about it. So why? What are the differences between Devin and Keyes? They're the same guy, right? But what do we Technically. think? <laughs> Technically. Um, yeah, I think that Devin is ultimately a persona that he adopted to be an, a, a civilian. He's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just get out of this and I'm going to let myself, you know, be nicer to strangers. Like that boy that almost blew up that thing. But he, he, he's probably as a soldier would would have seen through that and not have let that slide uh he's as a soldier wouldn't have gone to help that village like Devin had a much mushier heart and i think he's saying that in the 204th you gotta be like we are gonna get this mission done we are efficient we are a death squad and keys while he may not like all the brutality is that efficient and i think Devin is not Mm. so that's where i am on him i don't know what what do you think Corey? do you think Devin is are Devin and keys are they the same dude? Like, can, does he go back to Devin? Like, does he punch they, out and become I, Devin? <laughs> I think they are more of this of the same person. Like, I don't think he wants to admit that yet. But like, I think that Devin's strategic independence, I think, is who Keys is deep down. Like, I don't think he's he's loyal to any ideology. I think he's loyal to something else. Maybe himself, perhaps. Maybe well, it's a selfish thing. It may be, and you raise a great question because he makes some dicey comments for a guy who's in the Empire in this book. At one point, he even (laughs) says no. He literally says no true Imperial can last. You know, like if that's not a damning statement about the Empire, I don't know what is. Right. And he makes other comments like that and throughout Alphabet Squadron when he's Devin. But, you know, in the end, we do see him joining up with Ray Sloan. And we get a hint that, you know, maybe it's not because he's looking to rebuild the empire. He's looking for something else. But what do you guys think he's looking to get out of this? Like, who is Key's loyal to? Is it a certain group or is it an idea or is it himself? And what does he hope to gain from this partnership with, with Ray Sloan? Oh, man. Epic power. That's, that, that was also one of those, like, pump your fist in the air moments when she showed up at the end. That was really cool. Um but I think he is seeing that the Empire as it was is gone. And coming back to Shadowing was, was his test of being like, is there anything left of what I know? Okay, then I'm going to take my toys and I'm going to find the person that's actually in charge of everything. And I'm going to go join up with them because with her now, I think he can create something lasting and powerful. Whereas if he would have just tried to keep you know, holding on to the Empire, it's like sand going through your fingers. And I think all the warlords and the old Imperials are trying to grasp it, but Keys is smart enough to know that it's already gone. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that makes sense. Uh, I think that there are a lot of loyalties that we're questioning when we get to the end of these character sections because there's so much that we don't know, and that's what, that's what the third installment of this trilogy is really going to hammer home for us. But Definitely. 
Y'all, it's time to move on from characters. We're running very low on time. So we're going to hit some overarching questions here and then run straight through the Easter eggs. Um, First thing that I want to talk about, these messengers, guys, or the messenger, rather. uh, Palpatine's messenger. You know, a lot of this book is, is... dedicated to people what i would say looking for guidance from something bigger than themselves so the cultists are looking towards the force uh some of the imperials are are looking towards the messenger as the will of the emperor um what did y'all think about how the messenger is still in play where is this going with with the messenger i have no idea i'm so interested in the messenger like one of my favorite subplots that has stuck with me more than than most subplots from Legends is the Hand of Thrawn duology. I'm not sure if you guys have read that one. Yeah, um, have it's not. It's a Timothy Zahn book uh, series. There's two of them. It's like it's the only named duology. Like people, it's not it's not officially on the cover or anything, but it is the only books that people call a duology. Spectre is it Spectre of the Past and Visions of the Future? I think. Yes, exactly. And the the whole premise of the book is that holy crap, Thrawn might be alive because there's this. Um, there's this like crazy stuff that happens that is obviously tactical stuff that Thrawn would do, and it looks like it would be him, and like it's all of this sort of innocent, it, it's this sort of like protocol after death type of situation stuff, and I absolutely love that stuff, man. Like yeah. the idea that that they would leave behind crazy stuff, like the messenger to continue doing their bidding, and the messengers just doesn't they don't say anything, they don't do much, like. They well, so interestingly enough, though, at the very end of this book, the messenger says Operation Cinder is to begin at once to Keys, and Keys finds himself wondering: Was this a weird glitch, you know, in the programming, and it's repeating something from the past, or is this thing saying Cinder needs to happen again because it it was not successful? Oh my god! Can you imagine? Can you imagine the third book opens up and it's just keys hitting the messenger with a wrench? Like, damn things on the fritz! (laughs) Like, and that was it. And then they just move on. He's he's just like this one's got a a bad motivator. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that there's something there, man. I mean, there's these things are 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 kind of a mashup of imperial tech, the most expensive you could ever buy, with Sith magic, all wound up in a ball of evil like but also also palpatine is alive right we now know yeah. that yeah yes and like how does that tie into all of this it's a great i think question. that he created those things because it's it, they're they're an easy way to dispel a message and i think there is like some dna tracking into them i i'm i'm seeing them as the more scientific one where you know palpatine entered in once these people arrive in front of you then you can activate and give this message you know if this then that if this then that programming but i think there's also an element of maybe like paul says in the chat here i think it was i think it was paul right like paul asking can the emperor manipulate them from exegol like is he actually that powerful because part of me thinks he's way too weak to be doing that at this point in continuity what what if he's just what what if they're just cameras like, what if he's just watching on the other that end? That did occur to me. That totally did occur to me. Yeah, that's, like, like, his OnlyFans? <laughs> that's just, like, him being like, good evening, you sexy kittens. And it's, like... He's, he's live streaming to the... What is, what is Chief Palpatine's <laughs> Snapchat story like on Exegol? <laughs> he goes, still in the harness, day four. <laughs> 
day 67, made another Snoke because I was bored. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, but, well, but I think there's, there's a possibility of that, of him being able to keep track of stuff from Exegol, at least. Maybe see through them. Yeah. There's so much we still don't know. And there's a lot of weird Sith, maybe Sith stuff that happens in this book. This is one of the last points that I want to hit, y'all. Um, we have to talk a little bit more about the tower that's on the planetoid that Quell interacts with. We absolutely, uh, we, we would not have fully discussed this book unless we talk about this. So what we kind of know about it is Quell called it the eye, uh, or at least the, the black hole that kind of, um, revolved around the planetoid she was on, or I guess that her planetoid revolved around rather. And it would, the tower would be activated when that black hole was at the top. And it induced visions. Um, it responded to Quell overcoming pain when it opened and revealed the ship. I mean, let's call it what it is. It's the Eye of Sauron. I, I don't know how many references to <laughs> Lord of the Rings we can have here tonight. But what did you guys think this tower was? Why do you think that? Could this have been a Sith temple of some sort? Why was it there? What do you think? I Man. certainly got the, got the Sith temple impression, Eric. Yeah, man, I, th- this this really reminded me of um, in Clone Wars Wild Space, actually, the Legends novel, when Obi-Wan and Bail Organa, our lord and savior himself, uh, go and find a Sith temple, and the, the psychic and physical effects that um, Quell goes through reminded me a lot of that. So I think there's definitely an element of Sith sorcery involved in it. I think that the Sith have always been way less regimented with how stuff opens or how stuff is accessed in the Jedi. Like, I think mean, each temple that was built by a specific Sith Lord that's like, all right, this one, you gotta be, you cut an arm off and you gotta bleed on it. Okay, this one, you gotta mentally go through all the trauma you've ever experienced at noon. Boom. Like, so this really hit me as maybe some Sith Lord in the past, maybe Darth Kaldoth or something, like, created this <laughs> temple if we and could she be just happened so to stumble upon it. I know. That's what I got from it. Yeah, I I had there were some very interesting world between world vibes that I got from this thing. Sure, sure, yeah, and uh, like the fact that she kept seeing her past was very interesting. Like, I don't know, I certainly found this to be the darkest, most Sithy, magical part of this whole book. Of like, this has got to be some Sith stuff for sure. It's got to be Sith. Yeah, and I agree. Yeah, I was also picturing what briefly when she when she finally got into the tower and she was talking about the the ship that was inside um i'm not sure if you guys have read any books that actually talk about ship in legends do you remember ship it's like a red sith ship that can change shape kind of like a transformer <laughs> it's in nope. the, it's, it's in the leg it's in the legacy series um ben uh, uh ben skywalker is very much involved with ship and it's a whole huge thing it's like oh it's like sentient almost and it's like a weird sith thing um and i thought that that's where it was going because quail was talking about like kind of bonding with it in a weird way like the ship. there were weird that? yeah there were weird comments about it and you know what where i went with it is i thought this was definitely a sith temple but not in that direction it said that the ship had a cloaking system right she cloaked herself and was invisible before attaching to the uh, the freighter that Shadowing was escaping on at the end of the book. 
in my mind, went straight to the only Sith ship I know of with a cloaking device, which was Darth Maul's scimitar. Yeah. Ooh. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a great point. I like that. So I don't know. Sith is sneaky, man. Sith is very sneaky. Sith is Sith is sneaky, The Sith bro. ship is sneaky. That's my new tongue twister for the day. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, on that note, I think it's time that we run through some Easter eggs. I will try to make them quick because we've got a, quite a bit to get through. Y'all stop me whenever you want, and uh, then we'll wrap this thing up. So first and foremost, the 61st mobile infantry that we see throughout this book is Twilight Company from the novel of the same name. So that was great to see them back. Um, on page 41, again, we see the messenger come back, and that's our connection to Aftermath, Shattered Empire, Battlefront 2, lots of different great stories. Um, page 45, we have Ray Sloan get mentioned, and then she comes back later, of course, but yet another connection to the Aftermath storyline. My favorite bit. So yeah. cool to see her. Great reference. And on the same page, we get Black Sun mentioned. So still getting some great crime syndicate uh, mentions, mm-hmm. and maybe we'll get some more of that in the future. Who knows? Um, same page. God, page 45 was amazing. Uh, Grand, <laughs> Grand Vizier Masameda was talked about. So love that. Yikes. Yeah, I know. Um, I have a list going here of all of the music that Chas was supposedly listening to in this novel before... Uh, it was taken away from her by Latige and the Colt. And here's what they were. Snivy and Rhythm Rhyme, which I can only assume sounds like Busta Rhymes. Uh, <laughs> Verpine Pipe Glass. Lolitian Politifolk. I think that's Taylor Swift's new album's name. Um, <laughs> crypto, here, here we go. Crypto Symphonic House Jam using an old Corellian folk tune as a bass line. And maybe actually my favorite, Scatterbop. Which one of those do you want to hear the most? Scatterbop sounds like kids bop jazz. Scatterbop, scatterbop, scatterbop. It sounds like a Hanson song from the 90s. Scatterbop, 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 scatterbop. Scatterbop. Absolutely. On page 58, Coaxium is mentioned, so that's our call back to Solo, and we can't get enough of those. Mm -mm. Um, Page 61, there's a tweet like in Shadowwing. They really talked about that nonchalantly, but I was very taken aback by that because that's not something that we've really seen. Um, yeah, right? You know, the Empire is pretty xenophobic in general, and, and this is a tweet like in, in their premier fighter squadron. So that was cool. Yeah. Um, page 63, fantastic callback to Attack of the Clones and the wonderful Elon Sleesbagano, or Sleesbagano, as Eric says. Um, it's revealed that Chas actually smokes death sticks, guys. I'm sorry. I always assumed that death <laughs> sticks were like the equivalent of like crack cocaine, but like, I guess they're just cigarettes. I thought they were what, cigarettes, yeah. But I also, don't know. maybe it's Chas. You know, she's wild. Who knows what she does with her free time? I went to a dark place in Attack of the Clones because I I didn't think that he would be like peddling. I don't know cigarettes in the club, but maybe so. <laughs> Uh, page 74, so uh, different soldiers are sharing their war stories, and several of them we've heard of before. So one talks about the Cavern Angels. That was a group of X-Wings and U-Wings that were stationed on Jeddah, and uh, they actually appeared in Rogue One, but they were also in Guardians of the Wills. Uh, another one talks about Black Tar Cyst, and that was seen in Battlefront Twilight Company. Uh, they talk about the Battle of Sullust that was also seen in Battlefront Twilight Company. 
Uh, man, so some freed, great we get it. There. You wrote Battlefront Twilight yeah, Company, right? man. <laughs> <laughs> Never let those characters go. Ever. Uh, 75, we get a fantastic conversation about Vader between Quell and some of the infantry. Uh, we get this quote. She bowed her head and gave what she could. Lurid tales of Vader murdering subordinates who had failed. Of Vader shooting down wingmates who got in his way during flight. Of officers summoned to Vader's mysterious fortress and never permitted to return. And someone asks, you know where he got his lightsaber? I don't, Quell said. Probably killed a Jedi for it. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> kind True. of. True in a way. You know. But never get too much Vader. Uh, page 76, though, the, the talk turns to Palpatine, and someone says, I wish he had survived. Careful what well, you hey. wish for, bro. <laughs> Careful. Um, we do get a reference during that whole conversation where the army thinks that their next mission is going to be to take back Coruscant. And, and to get back to what Juliana was talking about uh, with the Rogue Squadron series, that's one of the big story points from that series. So we could be moving towards some more similarities between those two. Totally. Page 119, the ghost is mentioned. That was fantastic. Hera was thinking about it. On page 123, there's a random reference to a pirate named Edenesius Winker. That's it. That's all I have to say. That's just a great name. Edenesius Winker. This is the golden age of Star Wars, folks. Um, No question. (laughs) Page 129, Quell uses a cyclodeoxys gas grenade against the Imperials that that had captured Karen Aiden. Now, apparently, this is an invisible, non-lethal cousin to Dioxys, which was the gas the Trade Federation used to try to kill Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan in The Phantom Menace. So that's a fantastic, that's probably my favorite reference to the whole thing. And I swear it's not because it had to do with Obi-Wan. Page 133, someone says, Bacta, the miracle fluid, capable of everything short of resurrection in a hundred species. And apparently growing limbs. Evidently. It it can knit together femurs, though. Go listen (laughs) to our last roundtable to get that reference. Um, Yes. Page 151, we get an Osiak captain in the New Republic. I do not know how to say his name, but it's something like Giginovec. Uh, in that was a brand new bird-like species uh, that was introduced in Rebel Rising, but here we see it for the second time now. So that was cool. Yay, bird people! Yay, bird people! I just think about that eagle Muppet. What's his name? I Sam love that the guy. Eagle. Sam the Eagle. Yes. <laughs> Sam the Eagle in Star Wars. <laughs> he's, he's my spirit animal. That's Giginovec. <laughs> Um, page 197, someone is yelling over the comms and they say, Rebel, New Republic, screw it. Rebel ground team is trying to get a bead on them. And that was just fantastic because they're still <laughs> rebels. We all know it. Yep. Page 201, Jin Urso is mentioned. Always love that. Page 212, uh, there was a reference of a separatist toxin being used from the Clone Wars. There was someone who was, I believe was in shadowing that was still having medical problems related to this toxin and knew she was going to die very young. So she uh, volunteered for like dangerous missions. And I wasn't sure if that might be a reference to like blue shadow virus or, or something like that. COVID. Um, or COVID. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Um, page 215. Ugnots are mentioned. Always love when the pig people are brought up. Um, space pigs space pigs sam the eagle space pig there's so many references to just (laughs) real real earth species in star wars yeah um page 225 we get this reference 
uh, or this quote rather, the pilot's seat had uprooted from the deck and lodged her body between itself and the main console. Perhaps a stroke of luck, since the transparent metal of the viewport had torn open in three places, leaving jagged halos that could have easily impaled her. My only thought to that was, I'm a leaf on the wind. For all of my brown coats out there, you'll get that. Yeah. It still hurts. It still hurts. It still hurts. Uh, Page 236, we get the quote, As she passed beneath a line of battlements, she heard shouting above, Stained and yellowing stormtrooper helmets rested in in the gaps of the crenellations. Trophies or warnings, or both, from the days after the Empire had fled. And that's totally got to be a Mandalorian reference to the stormtrooper helmets on a spike. Totally. Page 243, we get the quote, This is the story he told when Karen Aiden is talking about his past. And that is throwback to Alphabet Squadron when we got that quote all the time. Uh, Only time we got it in this book, though. Oh, yeah. Page yep. 244, Aiden apparently, remember, he was arrested for writing this article, and that article forecasted droid production on the planet Cole Hero, and that was like a loose reference to the Legends novel Rogue Planet by Greg Beer, uh, where we see combat droids from Cole Hero get smuggled onto Coruscant. So oh, maybe wow. that was Yeah, maybe that was some kind of secret factory, some kind of weird Legends connection. I don't know. Very cool. Page 248, Tuka Cats are mentioned, and I think this has yes! become the most common reference in all of canon. The best! I think so. Uh, page 253, we get the quote, an oversized child's model of a pod racer. So pod racing still being mentioned a ton in canon material, and I'm still waiting for my novel. All right. We gotta um, get it soon, seriously. It's, it's everywhere. It's, Everyone it loves coming. it. It is coming. Um, Chas decides to use the name Maya Halleck as her fake name once again. So that's a reference to Liana Halleck, Jin Urso's fake name. Uh, we get some great species call outs in the cult. Uh, what was it? The children of the empty sun. We get Twi'leks, Gamorreans, uh, a harch is there just like Admiral Trench from the Clone Wars. Uh, we get a Claudite changeling is there just like Zam Wessel. So all those were great, great callbacks. Um, page 280, we get maybe the most legendsy name in canon since Sanrex Stronghammer, Gorgeous Sue. Gorgeous, Gorgeous Sue. Gorgeous. Um, we also great. get a Smashball reference in this book. So that was actually like an old 90s Legends reference that has been exclusively referenced by Alexander Freed in canon thus far. So maybe yeah. he we has plans for that. talked about that in that. our interview, yeah, yeah. About how he's like, whenever he thinks about a sport, he's like, well, I like Smash Ball, so I just keep using that one. Yeah, <laughs> why not? Keep them coming. Um, page 281, we get a V-Wing uh, that's in the story, and that was a ship that was first seen in Revenge of the Sith. That was one of the new ones we got with the prequels. Um, page 290, we get the quote, Then again, I hear the New Republic intends to repurpose Hoth as a prison for those who remain loyal to the Empire. Kind of cool cool story connection to Empire yeah, Strikes Back work. that maybe we haven't seen. Um, on the next page, they also mention Minox. So that was the ESB per, uh, portion of this novel. Um, page 322, ITO says, I have taken oaths to not do harm to my patients. So apparently medical personnel in a galaxy far, far away have similar oaths to us here on Earth where we we have the common tenant, first do no harm. It's not actually part of the Hippocratic Oath, even though people often say that's the case. Uh, But maybe there's a Hippocratic Oath in space. 
Um, page 348, the Starfighter roll call happens with Will's squadron. So that's a great callback to A New Hope with the whole Red 5 standing by. Um, page 377, Nath says, we're going to get a medal for this. T5 squealed through the comm, and he clarifies, I said we. So I feel like that's a callback to people <laughs> getting left out of medal ceremonies. Chewy. Yeah, unless, unless you read the comics, and then you know he actually did get a medal. Um, and Nath's medal itself was the Bronze Nova, and that's a callback because it was also earned by Poe Dameron's mother, Shara Bay, in Before the Awakening. Uh, so nice. that was really cool. Yeah, and it leads us perfectly into Poe Dameron Freefall. Um, all right, and now finally, I just have a question, guys. Those soldiers who were waiting to ambush Shadowing on that asteroid, were they stuck there the whole time? Are they still there? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> they're still there. For oh, sure. My gosh. That was a very strange plot line. Yeah. They couldn't get on there. You they know? got left in the weeds, man. <laughs> but okay, yeah. with that we also there are no space worthy ships on the entire freaking planet. I find that very hard to believe. Well, they they're on an asteroid. They left them no, there. I know, know, but the main planet, like they, you know, the rebels could have used some reinforcements during what? that whole huge battle. They couldn't have found a ship and went and got them or something. Well, wasn't that wasn't that main planet under imperial control? Wasn't that the point of it? Like there was most of the ships were like controlled by those militias or whatever. Yes. The Imperials didn't have anything in space, though. I don't know, man. I don't know. How many Star Wars books I've read since this one? <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, with that, we got to close out our hey, time with Shadow. Can I ask Fall. you guys one question? One more question, oh, yeah. though, real quick, that we didn't address. I know we're going long. Um, the thing that happens at the end, the literal last page of the book. Oh, you, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. right. Do you guys think it's legit, or is she faking? She's faking... Because Quell really needs redemption in the eyes of the audience. Yeah. She's trying to infiltrate yeah. from the inside, but she's been such a wishy-washy character that you actually question that fact. I agree. I think she's faking as well. Um, I think, but I think that she, I don't know if she knows that yet. I think that there's part of her mind that's like, you know what? I think I'm going to try to redeem myself by doing this, but if it doesn't work, I might stay. I think that, that she's so beaten down that that's a slight possibility. But yeah, I just wanted us to get that off the table. Yeah. Great call. Great call. We skipped over a ton of stuff that we could have discussed, but y'all, we spent so much time on this book already. I think we're all exhausted. Y'all are probably tired of hearing me talk by this point. So I will turn it over to you all. (laughs) We've reached the end. Rerate the book on a one to 10 and give me any final thoughts you have before we get out of here. Um, I'm going to stick. I think I said like 8.7 earlier. I think I'm going to stick with that. I, I, I really, I really enjoyed this book and I'm I'm trying to get better with my rankings. I'm trying to make them a little, not all 9.8s or whatever, but (laughs) I I really like this one. I think that it it is, as we've shown in these two episodes, a real thinker. I think it's dense, but in a way that makes you really think about it weeks and months after reading it. And I mean, once I turned that last page, I immediately thought, give me the end of this trilogy right now, which is exactly what it's meant to do. Yeah, totally. I'll also stick to my original rating. I think I said it was 7.5 or something around there, 7.5, 7.6, something in that range. Um, And I I stick with that. Like I found the book to be uh, entertaining, but also really dense. And I think that is hard for a lot of readers. I definitely wouldn't recommend somebody read it kind of initially. Like if you're not really familiar with Star Wars books or um, might find it a a bit dense, but it definitely makes you think, but almost like to the point that it hurts your brain. (laughs) Like, I am tired. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm, 
I feel like I need to have a nap now after discussing this because it's so dense and it's just, it's such a testament to Alexander Freed's like credibility as a writer. Like he is incredibly, incredibly strategic and technical. um, And he's really great at crafting an unbelievably complex plot. And I think it makes for entertaining reading, but I do think it it could be dense to some people kind of the way that Luceno is, is in a lot of ways. Yep. Yeah. I agree with that. Wesley, what do you got for us? Wes Rebo. Um, I'm going to give it an 8.0. I think that was a little higher than I had given it earlier. Um, only because I got super frustrated through the details or taken away from the storyline where I had to put the book down and like stop grinning my teeth. And it's like, get to the damn story <laughs> and stop telling me about these caverns <laughs> and this underground tunnel. But... All the, the major points that he put in the book were really good, so I can't wait for the third one. Yeah, agreed. I'm sticking with my rating, too. I think you all make great points. I have nothing to add in particular. 8.5 is where I'm going to be, and uh, that's it, guys. That is the Shadowfall Roundtable. So, Eric, take us home. All right, my friends. Well, we love doing these roundtables. We'll be back with one before you know it uh, for Poe, Dameron, Freefall, Dark Legends. We'll, we'll tell you when they're coming, but not next week. Next week, we'll be back to a normal show, but this will do it for this week's episode of The Living Force. If you already support us on Patreon, normally we'd tell you to head over to Discord to join the Aftermath After Show. Because we went long, we are taking this week off. We will be back next week to hang out with you for that after party. A special thank you goes out to Cheryl Bell, Drew Iberando, Alec Solar, and Patrick Ortiz on our Jedi High Council, and the lovely and talented Sally and Chris Eilerson on our Alliance High Command for their amazing support of Utini and this show. You can find us on Twitter at Eric Eilerson. I'm Corey is at DocStarWarsMD. Charles is at C. Hankel. The show is at LivingForcePod. The website is at Utini underscore US. A special thank you to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor, Wes, our producer and community manager. Thank you to Corey. Charles and Wes for podcasting with me. Thank you all for watching, and as always, may the Force be with you. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars fan code. Embrace it. Live by it. And above all, trust in the living force that's all for this week join our community and surround yourself with like-minded fans by visiting us online at utini.com until next time may the force be with you